Hello, 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 and welcome back to Comic Book Workshop. It's a podcast about the craft of making comics. I'm Jason Hammonds, and I'm not an expert. I'm trying to learn all I can from those who do it best. On this episode, I chat with cartoonist Tyler Boss. You'll know Tyler's art from books like Four Kids Walk Into a Bank and his upcoming Dark Horse book, Dead Dogs Bite. Tyler tells me about the difference between working on a team and working solo, uh, how it felt to have his book delayed by the pandemic, and some of the skills he learned from masters like David Mazzucchelli and Klaus Janssen. Before we get into all that, though, let's catch up for a minute. Um, it's been a, a, an insane few weeks for me. I'm, like, fighting the, uh, the many limitations uh, of, of some of my tools here. I'm a huge Microsoft Surface advocate, and I do um, so much work from my Surface uh, for comics and, and design work and, and all sorts of things like that, and I, I love the thing. But there are those times uh, where, you know, I'll be working with just enormous files uh, or, like, weird textures and patterns, and I'll be, you know, 50 layers deep or something, and the process of, like, getting a project across the finish line, a page or a piece or, you know, cover or whatever, uh, becomes so arduous. <laughs> you know, you'll, you'll take, like, a, a text box and try to just, you know, move it, uh, you know, a, a, a few you know, inches or, or, you know, pixels or whatever. And, you know, it'll take a full minute and a half to get the whole thing to render. And like, I, anyway, and so all that to say, I'm, I'm, uh, on like two and a half hours of sleep right now because I stayed up all night trying to finish some design stuff and then had to wake up uh, pretty early for some meetings on the movie I'm working on. Um, and so it was just like my, my, my brain is in like a, a weird manic level right now. Um, but I did want to talk about that a little bit, uh, you know, as, as the, the true heads will know as the longtime listeners and, and, uh, you know, friends will know, uh, I recently started working on, uh, the first animated movie I've worked on. I spent a few years working in live action and this is the first, um, animated project I've worked on. And it's been really, really interesting, uh, to see what this process is like of making an animated movie, seeing how iterative it is, seeing how collaborative it is, um, seeing how one of the things that blows me away, I, I, I work in the story department, which means I'm working with the storyboard artist, the director, um, you know, sort of most closely of the creative team. And the thing that is blowing me away constantly is just how talented every person on every level of this production is. I mean, these are just a collection of like some of the best artists that I've ever seen uh, uh, working together and, 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 you know, each sort of handling their sequences and scenes and stuff in, in such a masterful way. Um, and it's been really beautiful to see how iterative and, and collaborative and, and interesting this process is, you know, it's, it's all of these people who have incredible distinct creative voices who, you know, are, are from all parts of the world and all walks of life, uh, you know, coming together to form one unique story. Um, and it made me think about, you know, people talk a lot about you know, with, for instance, with Pixar and, and with a lot of big budget animated films in general, I think people talk about it as if it's, you know, creativity by committee, meaning that, you know, the edges are sanded off and it becomes, you know, the, the lowest common denominator um, that appeals to people. And I don't think that's necessarily true. You know, I think if you have too many uh, non-creative cooks in the kitchen, right, if you, if you have, you know, a lot of sort of corporate interference in the creative process, then that certainly can be true. But you know, when you have a ton of people whose passion it is to tell stories, 
uh, working together on one project. If anything, it makes it more unique, right? It's it's that the the sum of you know, or, or, or um, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts, right? That that you have all these amazing people who can come together and make a story that none of them individually could have um, could have conceived and could have achieved. Uh, and so th- that's been really fun to watch, just you know, seeing all that. And also, you know, I'm I'm in all of these meetings where it's you know going over versions of sequences over and over again, and you know, sort of like reboarding them, and then a new script will come out and we reboard it again, and then you know, getting feedback from different like it's so many versions of the same scenes play out and it's really amazing to like learn and see how they get better because i think that's one thing that 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 happens you know more often than not in animation is that things will get better than you know than when they get worse and so you get to see all these little ways in which you know emotions and and change and and you know movement whatever comedy all these things are sold you know, and, and how they can be made more effective and, and how all these like small little things, one panel here, one drawing, one change of the facial expression, one change in staging, uh, you get to see how all of these things can really uh, uh, improve the way that that character or that story is communicated. Um, and, uh, you know, as an artist and as a writer, like it's so invaluable to me uh, to see all of this. I decided to record this uh, intro with my balcony door open and so now we're just hearing uh, the sounds of LA um, but, but, but it's been fascinating and, and really like has allowed me to uh, grow a lot um, as an artist and just grow in my understanding of, of you know visual storytelling um, there's so much of this that, that translates directly to making comics and that's what excites me and I think that's the other thing too is, is in talking about how iterative and collaborative animation is uh, it made me appreciate what comics offer as well that that they are kind of two sides of this you know visual you know craftsman storytelling spectrum right you know the 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 two sort of mediums that are drawn by hand you know and 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 made in that very personal way uh that comics is an art form a visual art form that can really be a stream of consciousness right like or the closest thing to it because you can, you know, on your own or in a very small, you know, two, three, four people, like how whatever your creative, you know, sort of collaboration or process looks like, it can make this thing that, that has really very few uh, barriers to entry and barriers to completion, right? You know, it's, it's about how fast you can work and how confident you are in your work. And that is so amazing to me. And I think that it's something that maybe we don't take into account, you know, those of us like me who are very uh, uh, early in their journey of making comics, you know, who don't have, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of pages behind them, like, you know, that, 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 that maybe instead of focusing on, on where we want to get, that we can appreciate the stage that we're at, that, that we are working in this medium, that we're trying to tell stories in this medium, uh, that does allow us the freedom to you know, sort of put something on the page that is coming immediately from whatever our, you know, conscious, subconscious desires, fears, anxieties, hopes are, right? That, that you know, you can write 22 pages of, of a script or you can start thumbnailing them or whatever. And like, it's immediately, you know, a connection directly from your brain and your heart onto that page, you know, that you don't have to 
you know, get approval from all of these layers and levels of people above you that you don't have to bring in, you know, dozens, hundreds of people to help, you know, see it to fruition, that you're not going through all of these different versions and iterations and, and, you know, sort of whittling it down. And again, I think both of those things are beautiful, but I think that that's the, the, one of the things that comics offers that's very few storytelling mediums offer is that you can tell something that is just so directly connected to who you are and what you are thinking and feeling. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's, it's uh, this sort of like uh, uh, scale between, you know, working on a, a large animated feature and then working on my personal comics that are, you know, purely for me. No one is, you know, asking. I mean, I, there are people who, you know, have enjoyed my work and want to see more of it, but like, you know, no one is, waiting on me to, to deliver these pages. And so it's having something that is so personal and so self-driven and then something that is also such a giant machine um, is really making me appreciate the, the sort of aspects of both that are, that are unique. Um, so I don't know, that's, that's something that's, that's been on my mind uh, for the last couple of weeks and, and uh, I think has really aided my creative process. Um, I'm actually tonight going to be taking uh, or starting my first storyboard class, um, which will be really fun. You know, I've, I've done a bit of like since moving to L.A. because before L.A. I was entirely self-taught and, and hadn't had any like formal education in drawing or whatever. Um, and it was something that I always wanted to do. Uh, so since being in L.A., I've, I've, you know, gone to like figure drawing nights and, you know, I've taken like a perspective drawing class, um, you know, and like uh, a gesture drawing class. Um it's, but this is my first, you know, sort of like storytelling drawing class. Um, so I'm really excited for that. I'm, I'm very interested to see sort of what the things are that I learn. And honestly, the thing that I'm like most interested in picking up from it is 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 quickness. Um, and that's the thing that amazes me with all these storyboard artists I work with is like they can just crank out these pages um, or, or panels. Uh, it's such an amazing clip. And, and with better quality drawings than I would ever hope to, to achieve, <laughs> at least right now, um, that they can do in, in you know, just a few minutes. Um, anyway, so that's, that's all you know, what was on my brain. And, and um, you know, it's also just sort of led me to like learning about or, or learning to accept um, my own stupidity uh you know to 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 just put something out and and say like look this is this is dumb this is bad this is probably you know awful like a, it's not up to what my taste level is but it is what i'm doing right now uh and to not let that stop me you know i mean it's and i think that's a journey that a lot of people have to go on and some people you know it's a mountain that some people are are not able to quite climb and one that i don't know if you know i'm fully climbing uh to be honest but like to just consciously think about that a lot more and like try to, to, to sort of understand that whatever it is that I'm writing or drawing isn't going to be what I want it to be. Um, and instead of like letting that stop the momentum just to sort of accept that and go, all right, this is bad and it doesn't have to be good. And you know, no one else's bad is going to be the same as this bad. So why not just let it be that bad and then, uh, do better on the next page, which is, you know, it's like you hear it all the time in all the interviews we have on this show. Um, you know, it's, it's something that's so common and, and talked about, but it's just like, at least to me, it's been a years long process of putting it into execution. If anyone has any tips on that, I'd love to hear it. Um, but anyway, those are, those are, those are some of the lessons I'm, I'm learning, uh, this, this last couple of weeks. So hopefully, I don't know, chime in, let me know if you have any, any thoughts on that. Um, cause I'm, I'm still wading in this ocean trying to sort of find a, a shore to swim to and hoping it's the right one. Um, 
But anyway, that's 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 enough of uh, my rambling. I think that's the longest solo ramble I've ever had on the show. Um, maybe that's why I shouldn't go, you know, two or three weeks between episodes. Uh, but without further ado, we're going to get into uh, the interview with Tyler. Um, I guess there's a little bit of a do because I do want to uh, welcome our new sponsor onto the show. Uh, and that new sponsor is Garm. Uh, if you haven't heard of Garm before, Garm stands for Graphic Artist Resource Merchant. Uh, you can find them at garmcompany.com. And what they do is they sell um, brushes, textures, uh, all sorts of creative tools that will work with Cro- Procreate, with Photoshop. Um, so you'll get things, you know, like they have a, uh, like a stipple brush set where, you know, if you, if you like doing stippling effects and stuff, this will speed up that process if you're working digitally, which, you know, I am, I, you know, one big important thing to my process is being able to, to be mobile. Um, you know, I just don't have the type of sort of like situation that I can count on being in the same place for, you know, long extended periods of time. Uh, so everything I do is on the surface. And so I, I use Photoshop a lot and I know a lot of people who work on, you know, procreate on the iPad. Um, and so you can get a lot of really awesome tools, brushes, textures, uh, uh, fonts, uh, to sort of, you know, bring that extra level into your artwork. You know, I'm someone who, if you know any of my work, I love having texture. I love, you know, work that feels tangible. I work digitally, you know, for almost everything, but I, I, I like it to feel handmade. Um, you know, which is also why I don't often, uh, you know, rule out my lines and, and, uh, you know, make everything sort of pitch perfect, you know, at least for the, the finished drawings. I try to freehand things as much as possible when, when working digitally. Um, but this is something that'll help you sort of get, get that feel, you know, that, that, that it's not so cold and, and computerized that it's, you know, there, there's something to it. You can feel the tangibility there. And so there's, you know, sort of halftone type effects and, and, you know, things to make your work a little more gritty and, and to add like a, a paper feel or texture to it, um, add some grain, uh, all sorts of stuff. So I, I highly recommend checking out uh, Garm. I've, I'm personally using uh, one of their texture packs right now. It is called, let me double check here, uh, Rawhide, the, the print effect kit. Um, I've been using that actually on this uh, design job that I'm working on, and I think it's an amazing tool, and I think that uh, uh, there's a lot of amazing uses for it. So go to garmcompany.com slash TMBC. That's our, that's our code. That's, uh, that's how you let them know that I sent you. Um, garmcompany.com slash TMBC. Make sure you, uh, you use that link, and anyone who uses that link will get 20% off their purchase, um, which is an amazing deal. I mean, already these, these packs are really low price, and so 20% off definitely a steal. Um, highly recommend checking it out for anyone who's working digitally. So garmcompany.com slash TMBC. Uh, that'll get you the code. And now, without further ado, let's get into my interview with Tyler Boss. Welcome back to Comic Book Workshop. I am sitting here uh, virtually in a in a small studio space that that exists uh, uh, in two coasts of the country with uh, the cartoonist who is responsible for the upcoming Dead Dogs Bite from uh, Dark Horse, as well as books like uh, Four Kids Walk Into a Bank, uh, uh, TMNT Universe, the upcoming What's the Furthest Place from Here, and many other things. It is Tyler Boss. Welcome to the show, Tyler. Hi, Jason. Thank you for having me on the show. Of course, of course. Thanks for joining me. Um, I'm very curious. I mean, your your work is very interesting to look at in terms of like all of the different uh, uh, 
sort of milieus or avenues that you fall down, I, I, I think that it's it's interesting looking at, you know, like there's a little bit of like licensed work. There's a little bit of like short story. There's some coloring work here and there. There's like, you know, working with other writers and then writing your own work. Uh, is that something that's conscious to you? Do you like, has it been a design that you kind of try all of these different things? Is that like a growth thing or is it just something that ends up happening? Um, I think part and parcel, it was like, so I went to school at um, the School of Visual Arts and the, uh-huh. a lot of the curriculum there is sort of based around you being uh, like a cartoonist, like a, in sort of a pure sense of that word. So where you sure. handle every aspect of, of making a comic books process. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really enjoy pretty much every process except for penciling. Because <laughs> <laughs> sure. that's just uh, uh, hard. And yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it's, it's it's somewhat just from that like schooling and just sort of like that's how I learned to make comics. And then mm-hmm. also being a little bit of a control freak. And then also um, really just liking to try out a lot of different stuff. Um, uh-huh. Like I just find every different part of, of making a comic or like a, a book sort of fascinating. And I like to, to know as much as I possibly can. And so the best way mm-hmm. to know how to do something is to do it. Sure. Of course. <laughs> I, so, so obviously you're, you're here. We're going to be talking a lot about dead dogs bite, which is your upcoming uh, book that you wrote drew, colored, lettered, you know, sort of uh, uh, soup to nuts uh, over at dark horse. Um, and I definitely want to talk about that a lot, but I, I am curious about sort of, you know, building the path to get there. Uh, obviously you bring up SVA. I, I'm wondering what that experience was like for you, because obviously there are some legendary cartoonists who who have taught at SVA and, and obviously people who've gone there. Uh, what were some of the standout experiences for you uh, in at SVA? Um, I mean, I, I've specifically went to that school or, well, I tried to go to that school for a while and, and couldn't afford it and then was able to get some scholarships <laughs> and stuff. But um, I specifically picked it because David Mazzucchelli taught there. And at the time, uh, it was like 2009. That's right when I was graduating high school and Asterius Polyp had just come out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I read that and, um, I didn't have a lot of like indie comics in, in Buffalo growing. That's where mm-hmm. I grew up. And, and so it was a lot of superhero stuff. And my favorite comics were Daredevil Born Again and Batman Year One. Sure. Uh, and then, you know, as the borders next to us was, was closing down, I, <laughs> I found this weird copy of, of this book and I was like, oh, David Benson Kelly, I know that name. And that's so weird. I've never been able to find any more of this dude's work. Uh-huh. Um, and it's because, you know, he went off and went the indie comics route and I was like I love this I want to go this 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 type of storytelling this guy is doing I've just never seen before um and then you know so went there for him and and was lucky enough to to be able to have him as my my senior professor but also got to be taught by Klaus Jansen um and and Gary Panner and Nick Bertozzi and David Sandlin Mm -hmm. and and um uh Jessica Abel and so it, it, it's just, it was just this wide, what I liked about it so much, and I think that it, it fit right in line with my view of comics, which, you know, you, uh-huh. you have some people who are indie only or some people who are licensed only, superhero only and sort of things, whereas I sort of just enjoy comics as an entire medium. You know, yeah. it's, it's one of those things where it's when somebody's like, oh, what kind of music do you like? They're like, I like all music. And you're like, bullshit. <laughs> um, it, yeah. I really do just like all types of comics. And so to be able to get taught by, you know, the guy who, you know, helped make Dark Knight Returns, and then also like you know the Gary Panner, the guy who's making Pee Wee's Playhouse and and raw comics, yeah. and 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 it was just um that was I that's it was just a well rounded like education in comics. That's the whole incredible. Experience, yeah, sort of st- stands out. 
No, totally. And it's it's one of those things that, again, is like it is kind of unique to the comics medium where it's not like if, you know, it's not like if you want to be a filmmaker, uh, you know, if you grow up loving Spielberg or something like that, that you could just go to a film school and that Spielberg will be your professor. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's the same in music. It's not like Hendrix is going to be, you know, like it's it's so it's so unique to comics that you can actually. And I, I mean, I guess there's like some dark sides to that where like you, you analyze why that happens uh, and like the American respect for the medium of comics that results in cartoonists like, you know, teaching and stuff, which like, again, it's it's amazing. And, and I'm sure Matt Zichelli doesn't need to teach. Uh but it's it's very interesting, and I think that's got to be awesome for someone who, like you said, you know, he's your favorite cartoonist. He's one of your idols to be able to just learn directly under him. Uh, and I I can you know see a lot of that influence in your work. But what was what was something that you learned from David Mazzucchelli that that uh, really stands out to you, or that you kind of think about a lot or keep in mind a lot? Um, his and this, I mean, I paid a lot of money to get this from him, but so I'm going to give it for free. So nobody wow. has to go to SVA. Uh, the number one rule I got from him was, you know, the story, the reader doesn't. Mm. Um, and what he sort of means behind that, and and he sort of paired it with this one exercise we did, which is um, he gave us a deck of uh, storytelling cards. So mm. it's a little uh, sort of like probably like post-it note sized deck of cards. And you would pull a card at random. And the card would have a prompt where it'd be like, uh, tell this next panel in a flashback. And so you'd mm-hmm. start a story and you'd draw one panel and you'd sort of have an idea of what the story was. Or no, no, sorry. We would do a fairy tale. I think we did Little Red Riding Hood. And so okay. you'd start with panel one, you know, the basic story. And we sort of all agreed upon as a class what the story was beforehand. Mm-hmm. Then we'd pull out the deck and everybody would get a different prompt. So everybody's panel two would be completely different. And, you know, go to panel three, you pull out a card and it'd be like, okay, now tell this one from a different character's point of view. Okay, uh-huh. now tell this one from, you know, a bird's eye view. And it was just this different thing where it's like opening up your your head to different possibilities. The story doesn't have to be linear. You know, we don't need to have a three-act structure. The panel to panel doesn't even need to be necessarily related. And obviously there's rules you have to follow of storytelling that, mm-hmm. you know, you have to also adhere to these different prompts, but it, it sort of just opens up all these different avenues of like, you know, you go look at David's work in Asterius Polyp where it's like, you know, one whole chapter is an opera and then another whole chapter is just in, 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 you know, sort of uh, blue and, and pink. And then another whole chapter is about merging those blue and pink into a purple and, and then having this yeah. yellow component or using geometric shapes and different ways. It's, it's just, you could do so much. Oh, and the other thing you used to say is, and you, you, it's not a camera. It's it's a drawing. It's there's no camera in comics, or and mm-hmm. there's no there's no sound effects. He's like he's like he, he would hold a book up to somebody's ear and be like, "You hear anything?" So there's no sound. <laughs> it's it's a it's a book. It's drawings. Yeah. You need like to think about it in that way, and it really opens up the possibilities when you when you when you it's you think about all of the unique characteristics um, that the medium specifically comics has that other mediums don't have, and the, yeah. what you can do to play with those. Interesting. If I, I, sorry, that was rambling. No, out that made sense. Tyler, believe me, this is that is exactly uh, the kind of answer that I think not only myself, but I'm sure that all of our listeners are, are looking to hear. I mean, that is so uniquely uh, comics and so in the weeds, which I mean, hey, that's that's the entire purpose of the show is to be as far in the weeds as we can. Um, right, that, right. That's really fascinating because there there's that one um, and I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a, a lecture uh, on YouTube where like Matt. Kelly is talking to some class somewhere like maybe a middle school or high school class um, that's like you know it, the, the, the lecture is all about comics but it doesn't seem like they are students of comics at all mm-hmm. um, 
and even just watching that the way that he explains the medium and talks about you know like the 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 use of word balloons how much the shape of a word balloon can inform the reading of it and like um you know that type of stuff where it's like really thinking about what comics offers rather than just translating you know a a audio visual experience onto a page that is not audio visual so that that's it's interesting to hear about and i think that's got to be fascinating to try and like really hammer you know or like get your brain to always be thinking of comics as comics rather than translating something into comics um absolutely especially since you know we are i think just as a culture we're just so much more you know we just look at screens 24 7 yeah um just innately in our phones and and everything's you know i still i work on a computer uh for like 50 percent of my process and like the uh there you and we all i think you know we watch a lot of television especially now in the era of like streaming and and all these different things so we're 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 learning visual storytelling sort of Mm -hmm. intuitively by watching those things and Mm -hmm. a lot of that stuff i mean you you can go back and look at jack kirby and and what jack kirby brought from film into comics and and how there's there's things to learn from all these other mediums but you know you you need to still remember that there's you know um one of my other my probably as much as i love david his stuff was so influential klaus jansen was probably even bigger as far as learning from in the sense that klaus taught you this is how storytelling works in comics and he's like you can Uh break these rules later but you need to understand like you're gonna have somebody coming through a door on this panel cool you need to show the the door the panel before like all these weird little things where it's like intuitively people sort of start to do it and we, it was sort of like a boot camp. He breaks you down. All these things you take for granted that your brain is sort of just learned from reading and viewing all these things and then understanding why those choices are important and necessary uh-huh. for the reader's understanding. And then you take that stuff and you start to, you know, it's this, it's, it's, it's this addition by addition by it's this little game of building it all up. And so you, you kind of know, okay, is this going to work? Are readers going to understand this? Is this going to translate? What if we do that? You know, it's, it's an interesting I don't know. It's it's a fascinating yeah. medium that is just so complex and also so simple. Um, it's it's kind of great. No, totally. I it's the thing that I'm constantly like uh, driven by when I'm sort of you know uh, trying to learn and grow as a cartoonist and like you know reading comics with the eye toward like what is this doing that only comics can do? How is this sort of stretching the capabilities of the medium? Like. It's it's such a fascinating topic that's so like you always think that it that you've sort of found the depth of like what comics can do or like what they can be. And then you'll find out that there's another thousand feet of depth that you uh, didn't think of before or just like didn't conceive of. Yeah, for uh, sure. Which is interesting. But you see, you mentioned there that, you know, about half of your processes is digital now. Uh, I'm curious, what what is the divide for you? Where where does the computer come in and, and what part of your process is still traditional? Um, so I'm, it's probably a 50, 50 split of like on the computer and off the computer. So it's, Mm -hmm. I, when I'm, if I'm getting a script from somebody or I'm, I'm writing a script, uh, that all starts with, you know, I get the script from somebody, I print it out and then I start drawing on the script and trying to figure out, you know, really what the script's trying to do. If I'm Mm -hmm. writing the script that starts on paper until it's like kind of built up and I, I even do panel breakdowns for myself while I'm writing it. And then at some point, um, for Dead Dogs, I did try to write a hard script for myself mm-hmm. because I, I there's a book I want to do. Um, there's a book that me and Tom Riley are doing and, in which I'm handling most of the scripts and and I wanted to ch- know that I could do that, you know, like mm-hmm. sit down, do a hard script. Because when you're writing for yourself as an artist, so often it's so easy to be like, 
you know, you, you pull out the, the legal pad, you draw out the, the page, you figure out what you're going to need to be on the page and you can just thumbnail it right there. You don't have to sit down and do the whole sure. word processing thing. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, so thumbnails are always on, um, it's pencil on a piece of, I, I buy all these, uh, these big stack of legal pads. Uh, I okay. love them cause they're so cheap and I just use a <laughs> red marker and it, I, I don't have to be precious about them. I can try out 30 different things and sure. blow through a pad for one page. And it's like, well, that was a penny. So whatever. Um, <laughs> But uh, from there, I um, I pencil fully digitally. Uh, so I, I don't scan anything in. I, I sort of just, um, I almost always work in a grid. And that's just because I'm, I'm too afraid to leave the grid yet. Sure. I, I feel hey. like it just, it has so many brilliant possibilities that like, I don't need to step outside of it yet. <laughs> like, I'm telling you, man, the grid is, the grid is amazing. I'm yeah. like, I've been obsessed with the six panel grid for the last uh, about year or so, like trying to figure out everything I can do with it. And I think like every iteration of the grid is is so endlessly capable of things yeah and and the grid also can make you look smarter than you actually are in weird ways too (laughs) like it's it's just great i don't know the the rhythms you can set up and different things Mm -hmm. um but then once pencils are finished i uh print out um the board uh Mm -hmm. i chop a i buy this strathmore 14 by 17 uh plate surface board uh it's pretty cheap but it's 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 got a good tooth um and uh, yeah, so I chopped that down to 11 by 17. I got a brother printer that has a single feed slot in the back so I can print it mm-hmm. out in blue line. Um, yeah. And then I ink on the board, then I scan the board back in, and then I color uh, and letter uh, digitally. Wow. Is it so for your pencils? What uh, are you like a, a Clip Studio guy? Are you doing that in Photoshop or do you have some random, uh, you know? I've for the longest time been a Clip Studio guy. I just think their uh-huh. pencils feel better. Sure. Um, but then recently my computer died uh like it just completely failed so i had to like switch up uh computers that i was using and and uh didn't have my clip key anymore so i had to like rebuy it so it's just toughing it out on photoshop so i've been using photoshop and i'm using it still right now even though i got a new computer oh i got the old i saved the old one and it's working now but (laughs) it's um i still haven't gotten clip back on it i probably need to the only reason why i'm not is i i loved clip so much for the perspective tools that oh, they have yeah. built oh my in. god yes um and i feel like i started using them a little bit too much as a crutch and so as like well i know my simple little tricks to get a background sure. in here so now i'm trying to force myself to to do different types of backgrounds by just under like it, my innate understanding of perspective as opposed sure. to a perfect one point and i'm just yeah. seeing what happens there it, it may be that i'll just go back to clip be like no this was <laughs> good but for now I'm, I'm trying it and and we'll see man I, I one thing I found interesting with the perspective tool in, in Clip Studio is I had I had tried to use it um, like a couple of years back and was never fully able to get great results. Uh, and then in the last year, like at the beginning of quarantine, I took a um, perspective class or it was like right before quarantine. And then it went to digital after I took a perspective class at the at the animation guild out here in L.A. that like fully it was like taught by this like, you know, uh, uh, well-renowned, like, you know, landscape architectural designer or whatever. And it fully, like, unlocked perspective for me. And then going back to Clip Studio and using that perspective tool since then it was, like, it, it felt like seeing the world in a different way, you know, like yeah, going into the sure. Matrix or something like that, where you're like, oh, I can understand things now, but also, like, because, you know, you go into Photoshop and, and you're, like, trying to grid out a a layout or something like that, and it just is never going to, like, it's never going to fit perfectly, or at least for me. And maybe it's just like the surface or something like that that I'm using. That's not great, but like I, I don't know. I find that perspective tool so handy. 
Yeah, I mean, it's great. And my favorite, this is a stupid thing, but like mm. uh, the how, so on a two point perspective, how far out on the board you can place oh. your two points as opposed yeah. to like, I don't know if you've ever tried to do that by hand. Like we had a, it's one of my teachers, uh, I think it was Nelson DiCastro taught mm-hmm. us to where you like for your perspective when you're doing it on the board, you really do not want to have your perspective points when it's two point on the board because it's just not enough room to create a realistic yeah. field of view. And so we'd have to tape out like two feet away from either side of the board, these little pins Oof. that would be our measuring tools for like doing it. And now it's like, well, let's drag them out on the board and there we go. Now we're, we're <laughs> Yeah. I don't have to like, is my ruler matched up? I think, oh my God, it's too, my ruler's too short. To ma- so it's, it's, it's yep. a great tool. Um, but the thing that I, that I, I guess what I was more trying to get at is, is when you're trying to do like, I, I think you see John Paul Leon do this a lot where his backgrounds are more, um, it's actually kind of an, uh, so John Paul, Leon, uh, this is going to be a weird tangent, but uh, it'll hopefully make sense. Uh, <laughs> so John Paul Leon, also uh, SVA dude, uh, did uh-huh. not know that, but I took a class, uh, it's an on-location drawing class with Jean Ruggieri, who's a great illustrator. And John's whole thing is about, you, you go on location in, all across New York City, and you just draw, um, you know, what you see. Mm-hmm. of the buildings and different stuff but john breaks down drawing like in this class where it's about thinking about organic and inorganic shapes and so inorganic mm-hmm. shapes um are geometric and mm-hmm. organic shapes are you know little circles and stuff and so if you go and you look at and there's no rulers there's none of that it's just trying to you know just look at it and, and try and think about balancing inorganic and organic shapes together um and if you go and you look at john paul Leon's work and you hold it up against john rosary's work you can really see the two's um thinking as far as shape background figure color all these different things Uh and so when john's drawing his backgrounds he's not looking at reference maybe maybe he's he's got reference or whatever but he's not like you know putting a photograph in the back of the trait john's he's thinking about these things as as sort of organic breathing spaces in which there's inorganic and organic shapes being built in weird different patterns so there's no perfect two point because everything's living on different sort of planes sure um and so that's what what i'm a little bit trying to get at with the current issue of department of truth that i'm doing uh Mm -hmm. issue seven i'm sticking with the photoshop thing in which i don't want to have the the guides in there i sort of want to use my understanding of what i i know spaces to be in perspective inside of that and see mm-hmm. if i can get a more organic feeling to a space as opposed to like this hard rigid two-point thing which i normally do sure um, and we'll see if it works or not but <laughs> that's, that's really interesting do you, i mean do you find like do you find yourself reaching out for like a, a crutch or guardrail? Like what, what, what is your compass when you're trying to do that? What, what's something that you like try to stick or like f- to make sure that it all is making sense in your head? Is there anything or is it all just like drawing it organically and feeling out whether it makes sense? Um, it's sort of like patterning in a weird way, you know, okay. it's sort of like creating a pattern that is recognizable it, while not being, you know, like a a a one to one comparison of what like what a room would feel like, or like uh-huh. like well, this is a, this is exactly like a technical drawing or something of a room. It's more yeah. about trying to like, yeah. There's a, there's a patterning to it. Alex Toth did it a lot too. Yeah. He'll use this sort of black and white patterning and different shapes where it's like you know it goes back to the idea too of it's like it's a fucking comic book. It doesn't need to look like. Sorry, can I swear? Oh, please. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a comic, it's a comic book. It doesn't need to look like a photograph. That's the point. It's a drawing. And so yeah. it, it let's let's open it up. Let's let it breathe. Let's do some different stuff and make it fun. Uh-huh. Uh, I think that's the other thing, too, is that like it's more fun doing this. And if it's fun for you, hopefully the reader is going to see that and, and, and also connect with that and be like, I don't know why I like this, but I, I like this. <laughs> 
Yeah. I don't know. That, that makes total sense. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's how all readers talk, actually, famously. All comics readers sound that way. Uh, it's interesting hearing you say that, though, because uh, Alex Toth is someone who I can, like, you know, I think Matsukelly and Toth are the two, like, influences that I would see strongest in some of your work. Obviously, that's, I mean, one thing that we'll get into is the sort of shifting in styles and the way that you kind of bounce around. But, uh, I can, I can see that now. I have the um, Bravo for Adventure artist edition that I like look over from time to time trying to figure out how he does anything. Um, and I can see now like I'm retrofitting that with what you're saying about, yeah, like drawing with the sort of the, the shapes and the contrast and stuff. Um, but it also reminds me of something that Will Eisner said of like, if you're drawing a person in a room you don't need to draw the room in every shot. You just, you know, if you draw like the outline of a window and like a clock, people will understand that it's a room. Yeah. Um, 100%. You do got to give them the room first though. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. You, <laughs> you establish it. And once you've established it, then, then yeah. you don't need to just keep drawing that space over and over again. They'll understand that they're still in the space. Um, but that, it's, it's really interesting thinking about, it, cause it also does give room, like you say, for the, the light, the drawing to breathe for like whatever the focus of that drawing is the more time you spend on that room is the less focus that can really be paid attention to whatever is the actual, you know, like focus of the panel. If, if it's just someone on a city street, if you've already established the city street, like maybe if you're drawing every building in the second or third panel of that page, then they're not going to really notice as much the gesture or the expression or whatever of, that you're just sort of focusing on. Absolutely. There's, I wish I, I, I should have, there, there's my, one of my, it's a stupid, but it's my favorite Alex Toth drawing of all time. And it's, uh-huh. it's, it's a guy sitting in a chair and you're looking down at him and he's in a room and it's one of those Toth, like black and white, stark contrast drawings. Sure. Yeah. And on the floor, there's a circle rug. And uh-huh. the only way you can tell that there's an actual rug there is at the, at the front of the rug there, it's bunched just a little bit. So you get these two little mm. circle shapes of black and that's mm. it. But you wow. know that there's a circle, there's, there's a circle right there from these two times, and it's just so smart oh. and efficient and clever, and it's that's the sh- the shit that I just go wild over. Where it's just <laughs> yeah. like it's just like man, he man, somebody would have sat down and like patterned this thing and do all these things, and he drew these two little, just these two little like the, yeah. the rug is crumpled a little bit, and the guy also too is like in a bad way, like the rug is somehow also mirroring like this this character's state of mind, and it's oh so God. effortless and just like just sexy, and it's just like. Damn, <laughs> Alex, that's the thing about his drawings is they are always so like truly they are hot like they are hot drawings that yeah. are just like so good to look at um and i could never like I, and i think that's the thing is every my drawing personally like the way that i keep trying to develop and, and a big part of this podcast as i say in the intro before the interviews every time is that like i'm not an expert and i'm just trying to like learn from people and it's always the biggest thing that I'm trying to do as I'm learning is like do less, you know, like do more work building it up, but then reducing and removing all of those extraneous elements to make the drawing more communicative. Um, and he's such a master at that. He's so perfect at even with like his designs for, you know, space ghost or the super friends or whatever. They're so economical. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, yeah. uh, so let's talk about Dead Dog's Bite a bit. I want to revisit some of your other work afterward, but this is the focus of the interview. And I just read last night the the first issue, which you sent over to me, and I'm obsessed with it in my mind. And there's so many questions that I have. And it, this is a comic that I've been anticipating for now, I mean, a year. It's a year, right? I, buddy, I pre-ordered that comic as soon as it was announced because those first, you know, you'd been teasing it for a while. You'd been posting on Instagram with this random guy in a blue suit and like hashtag welcome to Pender Mills and everything about it was like really leading my curiosity where I was like, this, 
there's something here and I need to know what it is. And I can't wait to read this book. Uh, and so I like pre-ordered it immediately. And then of course COVID hits <laughs> and uh, everything gets delayed. And I think, you know, uh, uh, chief among the publishers in terms of delays is probably Dark Horse. You know, that I think they had more than most publishers. They really pushed their line back and like yeah. waited to kind of bring things back in. Which I'm actually um, thankful for. I think that was really smart on their part to be like, this ain't going away anytime soon. We want our books to have the best chance possible. And yeah. people need to buy toilet paper right now. So, totally. And it's going on eBay for $100. T- tell me what the experience was like for you. I mean, I, I just talked to Tate Bromble, who obviously had his book as well that was pushed back for for uh, COVID reasons at Dark Horse. But but I'm curious, what was what were your feelings as that's happening, right? Like you've been doing all this promotion, doing, you know, like building up and getting people excited about the book and then having it delayed. I mean, obviously, there are bigger issues. And I think yeah. that's always the thing to keep in mind here. But what was just internally in your world that you've been working on this book for however long? what what where was your head at during that oh it was demoralizing <laughs> it was it was <laughs> awful it was like i mean it was i spent i'd been working on this book basically for two years at the point and it mm-hmm. was like uh you know i'd gone to uh the retailer summit like in february maybe like two mm-hmm. weeks before two or three weeks to like do the final push of marketing and like trying to like show all the retailers like here's the first two issues and like anything i can do i had all these different things set up and plans and you know, the, obviously it happens and there's there's worse things to happen, but uh, getting getting the an email from your publisher telling you to stop working on it, uh, mm-hmm. you know, which uh, I, everybody got that email that works in comics. Uh, it's yeah, it's I, it's one of those things. You know, I didn't work on it for four months, five months, just couldn't even wow. look at it. It's one of those things where it's you, you put all this time into it and then, uh, you know, to have the bottom sort of fall out was uh was brutal but you know you pick yourself back up and you try to go back to work and you know i, I think uh could i mean i i always feel bad complaining about this stuff because it's so it's so sure. inconsequential um but i, I think but, but i think that is an important thing to recognize in all of this that there are absolutely bigger issues but i think that people do need to recognize their own like to to acknowledge what they personally went through also you know given the context that there are bigger issues but like it's it doesn't help anyone to sort of ignore the things that we're feeling personally as well. Yeah, it, it was, I think the thing that was most helpful to find was, um, you know, the other people that are part of uh, modern mythology comic art, which is the uh, the artist representation I'm, I'm mm. with. They um, they all f- sort of felt a similar thing. It was, you know, a lot of them, you have a hard time motivating and, I, and you look at it and you go, okay, well, everybody's sort of feeling this. And so you don't need to beat yourself up over it. You just sort of, mm. you know, luckily Final Fantasy VII remake came out. So that, that killed a week, <laughs> and, you know? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, you know, you find some stuff to distract yourself and so you can get back to, you know, to doing what you love to do. Uh, so how how long into the series, like how much work had been completed when you got the pencils down email? Uh, I was probably 15 pages off being done. Whoa. So it was like, and then luckily the um, having that break allowed me to, that's the other thing too, is I got to go, on, go through through the book again and, you know, mm-hmm make some changes where maybe I wouldn't have made changes at the end of the day. I think the book is probably better for it. I mean, anytime sure. you can, well, maybe not anytime you let anything go too <laughs> long, but um, I think the, uh, the book's stronger for, yeah. at least for me, I, I, I don't cringe when I look at it, which is, un, which is a, a, not a normal thing. Normally I look at myself and I, Ooh. yeah, it's a miracle for anyone who uh, creates anything is to not cringe when they look at it later. Yeah. Uh, 
Well, but I, I think that's very interesting, though, particularly when looked at in the context of periodical comics, because I think that, you know, one of the biggest like, you know, you could call it an issue or you can call it just a, a fact of the medium is that almost always if you're working in periodical comics, the ending is going to be the thing that you are able to spend the least time on, which is less than preferable, right? Because by the time you're getting to the end is when the publication has been going, when, you know, deadlines are catching up, when like, you know, you need to get things out to print, whatever. And so to be afforded that time, although of course there's a million painful things about it, that is interesting to note that it is, you know, something that doesn't happen very often in in comics is the ability to sort of rethink the ending and and, and go back over those last few pages and sort of retool or like, focus things in more on on maybe what you know like if it's a thematic thing or if it's you know plot thing whatever that you can kind of like ruminate on it a little longer is is a bit of a blessing yeah i know for sure i mean it's and it's um it was it definitely ended up being cool and it's i mean you know or if you're worried about how your book's gonna end just be three months late like the fifth issue of uh four kids walk into a bank yeah i mean look hey watchmen (laughs) was a year late for its last issue yeah you know, Which, the, like, the, the, the final book is the book. That's all that matters. Absolutely, man. Uh, and and I, I do want to get into four kids in a little bit, but let's let's talk more about Dead Dogs Bite because this is a book that um, I think one of the most there there are quite a few things that I find outstanding, but but something that is very unique about this book is its presentation. Um, it's a very I think holistic approach here where where you have this narrator you have this like eerie kind of spooky town and even the design of the book feels very unified from you know like cover to interior page design to like the actual uh interior artwork tell me about developing the sort of look and feel for this book and 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 what was your process or like ideology or or whatever to sort of like develop that top to bottom approach um so I, I came at Dead Dogs, I sort of had the inkling of it as I was finishing up Four Kids, and mm-hmm. I knew that me and Matt were going to do another book together because um, we can't get away from each other. <laughs> but I wanted to do something that felt like mine, like it, uh-huh. as much like it, and me and Matt are a full 50 percent, you know, 50 50 partnership. Like I, I love working with him. He's my, you know, no offense to anybody that I ever work with. But sure, Matt, he's like, you know, my my fucking dude. And <laughs> But, you know, Matt, you know, and this happens a lot with writers is, you know, then he got Matt had his Marvel stuff and he was off doing his thing. And I had a little bit of like, well, I want to show that, like, I'm I'm keeping up my end of the bargain. Like, yeah. I'm 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 here as a full participant, too. And so, like, I'm going to do my thing and, you know, we'll both have our separate stuff. But when we come together, you know, we'll do our thing together. Um, yeah. And so in doing that, I really wanted to do something that felt fully me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so a lot of what you're seeing is like a natural progression from what four kids was, uh, like style, style wise and sort of cleaning that up and, and, and sort of trying to, to find my ideal of what the style of what dead dogs looks like is just surface Mm -hmm. quality wise, but you know, okay, we're going to drop the panel borders. We're going to go with all white gutters. We're going to go with this type of color palette. We're going to go with this much detail, um, mm-hmm. or lack of thereof, we're going to try out some different like printmaking techniques and things. Um, and then on top of that too, there was, you know, wondering if, uh, my writing, uh, was good or not. <laughs> sure. Man, uh, that is, that is a hell of a fear and it's, yeah. it's harder to tell than with art because you can't um, just look at it and say, this is great. Yeah. And so that was another reason of going full script for the first three issues. I wrote full scripts. Um, the fourth wow. one, there is no full script. There's like a couple of, there, it, the script is a, it would be a nightmare to collect. 
Interesting. Um, but the it's it's because the fourth issue was so hard to. But I, I think I got it. I think I, maybe it's terrible. I, but I think I nailed it. But I, maybe it's awful. Hey, <laughs> that just but, makes me excited, honestly. <laughs> but the um, yeah, so all of that was sort of trying to coalesce what I did with four kids sort of, I didn't really feel like I, I hit what I was trying to do with four kids until the fifth issue. And so I mm. wanted to, the next natural shift of figuring out what that is. Um, and you sort of mentioned earlier where it's, I, I do like to, I, I feel like I don't have one set style. I, I think you can probably tell if you look at my stuff that it's me just because of the the inking or the line weight or sure. something. I don't really know or the color choice, but sure. I, I don't, I'm so interested in, in just comic books as a, as a whole and the, the history of the medium that I, I, I don't like the idea of being, thought of as drawing one way it just doesn't seem uh-huh. fun to spend 50 years of your life drawing in one set style Agreed. um and so uh dead dogs almost feels like it's like that's the codifying it's like all right cool that style's done with we're you know maybe i use it again later but we're trying something else out on the next thing yeah that's and i i'm i'm interested by that because especially lately i've been looking at the stuff you've been posting and like it feels like each thing that you post artistically is wildly different from the last thing um and so i'm fascinated to see how that coalesces into the next work uh but what in terms of this this narrative thing right this you've got this kind of like i don't know about omniscient but you've got this narrator character that's that's you know sort of presenting the story to us you've got this you know, uh, uh, eerie town where like weird things are happening and things don't feel, you know, it, it feels quite surreal. Um, and there's like some kind of, I don't know, seemingly like Twin Peaks or like David Lynchian aspects to it. But tell me about the, you know, narratively, where does this style of story come from? What kind of things are you sort of thinking about or bouncing around in your head as you're, as you're developing it? Um, a lot of it is sort of, uh, comes from growing up where I grew up. Um, mm-hmm. you know, sort of Buffalo's a city, I kind of, but it's, it's a small city and it's, it's sort of an insular community in a certain sense. You know, there's, there's a sort of sense of, um, you know, when I was growing up here in the, in the nineties and stuff, it was a pretty poor city and it was, mm-hmm. uh, had, had some drug problems and, you know, there was, um, we had a lot of, uh, people we we one great thing you could say about the city was that we since it was because it was poor and there was such a low cost of living um a lot of refugees moved here and uh you know like bolstered the community and 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 we were able to you know that the city as a whole was able to help a lot of people who their countries or the towns that they had lived in had been ruined by war or other things um and so it was it was that benefit of growing up here of getting to see um just the rest of the world be effective and and Buffalo sort of be um, as a whole, I don't know, like a good community, a good place to grow up, but it's still a sad place to grow up in a certain extent during that time. There's not much going on. Um, And there's, you know, a lot of underfunded schools and all this stuff. Anyway, so there, there's that sort of rust belt malaise that sort of happens in which like, you know, it's, it's there, it's melancholy to an extent. Mm -hmm. Um, and you see that sort of across upstate New York too, like Binghamton, all these different things. So I sort of started there thinking about the idea of a home and the, uh-huh. and the place you grow up and what what that means, and the way it shapes your worldview. Um, and then sort of taking that and trying to extrapolate that into a, a, a missing person story. That's really interesting. And I, I find that interesting particularly because, and we talked about this a little bit uh, uh, before recording, but after finishing this story which which you know you're delving into those things and your feelings about home and where you came from uh 
you end up moving back to where you grew up. I, I mean, back. <laughs> I, I'm wondering, you know, after doing this story and sort of, I mean, in a way, not, I, you know, I don't want to say exercising those demons and make it sound like it's a, you know, traumatic thing for you or whatever. But like, how did, how was your opinion or view of, of Buffalo, you know, differing now after doing this work and then moving back there? I mean, was there, did you notice any big difference? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, I think I also came to writing the story at this, this is the kind of age you also get over this sort of stuff. But I think for a lot of people sure. who move away from their hometown or have a complicated, or I loved growing up in Buffalo and, and, mm-hmm. and loved my friends here and my family and all that. But it wasn't, you know, I felt like I needed to go out and prove something. I don't know. There's, sure. there, there is this thing in Buffalonians where, you know, you got this chip on your shoulder. Like you feel like you need to, you need to prove yourself uh, that you have worth in some way. Sure. Um, and my version of that was apparently paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to a private institution. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, so going to New York and, and being like, I live here. I like, I, I did it. I, I can survive and live in New York. And like that felt like an accomplishment or something. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, at 26, 27, you're going, well, all I do is sit in this apartment and and work nonstop so that I can continue to be in this apartment. Like, what am I really doing here? And your yeah. your worldview sort of shifts and you, you kind of grow up a little bit and you learn the things that you actually kind of maybe want out of your life. Um, yeah. And uh, luckily for yeah, me and my wife, Court, we decided that we wanted to <laughs> move back to Buffalo and, sure. and it's been great. Um, That's awesome. And it's, it, I feel a little guilty because in the time that we've been away, um, you know, Courtney was like, we should move back and open a comic shop. And I was like, I do not want to do that. Uh, <laughs> and she was like, all right, well, I was like, also too, I was like, I don't know. We didn't have comic book shops growing up. Do you really think there's a readership there? And now there's this amazing bunch of comic book, comic book shops in Buffalo, the, uh, the gutter pop and which is sort of a more of an indie flavor. And then you got pulp 716, which is sort of like a come one, come all, you know, we sure. want to show you that comics is for everybody type shop. And it's Hell pretty yeah. cool. A lot of cool stuff. That's awesome. Here. That's like I that that's the thing that I always um dream about. Anytime I go back home, my dream because similarly I, I grew up in a town called American Fork that is uh in Utah Valley, uh near Provo. Um and there's like almost no comic scene at all there. Uh and every time I go back, I like have this weird slight hope that like there will suddenly be like a you know very successful comic book store that's and and nothing against the shops that are you know there in utah county right now i mean there was the one that i grew up with closed but there's a couple other solid ones but like you know like you're saying you don't you never felt like growing up that there was a scene and there was a a place for it there it's and i mean i think that's all of comics in general where we all sort of dream that at some point it'll just be this widely (laughs) widely accepted and and appreciated medium yeah um well, so I, the, the the color palette of Dead Dogs is something that I, I think stands out, you know, for for numerous reasons. But I think like you talked about before, it's, you know, these all white borders. It's it's, you know, these like kind of bright, poppy, like flat colors against like there, there's also very interesting stuff that you're doing that's really like painterly and, and kind of affecty in, in other places. Uh, t- tell me about developing the palettes. How, how are you sort of like coming up with the palettes for each page is it an organic as you go thing or are you really you know kind of like planning out each palette on the page um there's certain things uh that i that sort of help set the tone um Mm -hmm. where so a lot of the the colors for like the backgrounds and things like that are meant to feel naturalistic while also being um sort of like charles birchfield paintings or Mm. um just sort of like uh, Charles Brosfield, uh, he was actually a Buffalo uh, watercolor painter of oh. um, 
he's probably the most famous painter we've ever turned out, but he, he did these landscapes that were sort of magical, almost like Mary Blair sort of things where it's like they were gray, but they would have these pops of color and, and these lush things without being like separated. Uh-huh. Um, and then, you know, that's for a lot of the exterior spaces. And then the interior spaces is sort of thinking about, um, the way 60s and 50s interiors were where there was browns but then there was these bright greens and these bright yellows and these bright you know like sort of primary set against browns and things so that that came from there and that's just sort of like what the interiors of the places i grew up going to as a kid were you know the five and dime or my grandma's house or all this different stuff like those were the prevalent colors um but then for the character colors um the narrator i wanted to sort of look like a um like a strip character, like a comic strip character from like a newspaper. So, you know, you want to write, see, I wanted to do full CMYK pops on it. Uh, So I kind of went that, you know, almost like Superman strips or something. Um, Totally. And then um, for Joe, I I wanted her, Joe's the main character. uh, Mm -hmm. The color of her jacket was probably the most deliberate thing, which is I kind of wanted to do a a little red riding hood motif slid in there. Interesting. Um, Sure. Uh, I think, you know, there's other weird things where I'm looking at it now and I'm going like, oh man, like what was the, there was, uh, what was that M night Shyamalan movie? Um, <laughs> village oh, yeah, where they yeah. do the red suits or that's the one pop of color. That was not yeah. entirely, but like it's sort of, uh, I was, um, I was scrolling through Netflix or something and saw the cover for that. And I was like, oh, I remember seeing that. <laughs> thinking, like that was good for the first half. Yeah, man, I rewatched that movie recently. Uh, and it was, it up. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's very weird because like there, there are some things about the movie that I think are so masterful, but then like a million other things that are like really yeah. misguided. And like, I watched I the opening section of it and the opening funeral scene is so much like um, the original Wicker Man. Like it's shot almost like I think on like the same type of film grain and like it it just like it's like almost looks like it's like, oh, it's like a 1970s like British horror movie. Um, And then it weirdly flips and there's different things that I think he was trying. I don't know. I weirdly think you could probably do like a really interesting like medium article, like like breaking down and critiquing the village on like its merits and and the ideas that it was trying to pull off and things. There's, There's probably something there. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. I mean, I, I, I listen to the podcast blank check where they like really dive into, um, filmmakers who, you know, like auteur filmmakers who get that blank check and are able to like do whatever the hell they want. And that's the thing that I always find so fascinating is what does a creator do when they have, you know, carte blanche and full control and, you know, and, and, and M night is that way. Like all of his movies, whether successful or, or unsuccessful <laughs> are still interesting to look at because, he has, you know, a very unique perspective and his POV is so his own and there's always something to see or learn from there, whether good or bad. Yeah, for real. I mean, that's the funnest part too about, I mean, there's, there's, I I feel like I want to give a blank apology to anybody who's partnered with a person who fancies themselves a storyteller because <laughs> you you get a lot of idea anytime we watch like me and my wife she's a storyteller too so she's over mm-hmm. it but it did the anytime we watch something it's just it's like oh what about like you think this idea or like oh what they should have done it like this like i get what they're trying to do they should <laughs> what if they did it this way and it's just it's it's got to be obnoxious to other people but it is a really fun <laughs> game to play like once you kind of learn the rules and then you're thinking about like you know the twisting and pulling of every different thing and Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's just trying to figure out different ways to stretch the taffy. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so, okay. So 
this story it's it's for for those who don't know with dead dogs bite it's it's a you know there's there's a missing persons case is sort of the the core macguffin of the story if you will um which i did find very clever in reading this there's a lot of like fun <laughs> cheeky little things like that that are just i don't know I, I i like it when a story can um break its own fourth wall without directly uh shattering it yeah in that manager, way you know? when i sent it to my manager uh he quote tweeted or quoted it and said cormac guffin you're a fuck <laughs> <laughs> i mean like it's indulgent you're... yeah it's indulgent but it's indulgent in a in a fun way i, I think um, the whole book is hopefully a little indulgent in a fun way totally. there's, there's a little bit of that hopefully that i think hopefully people don't hate <laughs> <laughs> well i think that's you know in in talking about the the sort of uh you know auteurist thing obviously this is like the most auteurist work that you've you've done in 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 sort of you know a wide release way because yeah. it, it is all your work and i think that's very my, fascinating to look I, I at do, i do want to and my wonderful uh editor brett israel at dark horse who helps me uh so much with my grammar <laughs> sure i mean hey look we all we all have uh the areas that we need a little help on yeah um but no i i'm i'm really enjoying this book the the first issue was fantastic and i can't say enough about like how much it stands out among uh the other comics that are coming out right now and i think everyone who's listening to this should be pre-ordering this whether you are obviously a lot of the people listening to this are cartoonists or creators themselves i think there's a lot to learn in reading this i mean and this is something that is across your work the mastery of of rhythms of of not only conversation rhythms but also like a visual sort of you know, moments, the passage of time, the way that things can sort of surprise you or shift or like play with your expectations. I think that's really, really alive and well in this book as as you would come to expect from reading four kids or any of your other work. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a wonderful thing to uh, to read. And I can't wait to have it in print. Um, of course. Uh, so I do want to talk about we you know, you mentioned Matt Rosenberg uh, uh, a little while ago, and you guys have collaborated quite a few times. Um as far as I can tell, the first collaboration that you guys had was on We Can Never Go Home, where you uh, were, were doing the colors on those on that book. Is that the first time that you guys worked together or does it go back further than that? Um, it goes back further than that, but it's the stuff that never saw print or anything. Um, mm. We Can Never Go Home, Matt got into a pinch. Uh, I wasn't the original colorist on it. It was actually this uh, wonderful colorist, uh, Amanda Skirty, uh, and she did the first two issues, I think, and then I did... She might have done the first three, but definitely did mm. the first two. And then I finished it out just sort of following what she had set up because um, mm -hmm. she, she had a scheduling conflict. And it just was like me just trying to help out making sure the book got to the finish line um, sure. after Amanda had already done all the hard work of figuring out what the book should look like. Mm. <laughs> um, but uh, so, yeah, that was the first thing as far as like a professional context that we could like would be on the bibliography or whatever. And had you colored other artists work before that? Or was that kind of the first time? I think that was the first time. Did you that... learn anything about your own work from, from that experience? I mean, what was there, what was that like to, for you to sort of shift the gears like that and kind of work towards someone else's pictures? Um, I definitely learned that I need a flatter. Uh, <laughs> oh my so God. That was, yes. that was important. Um, and that helped a lot. Uh, but <laughs> Um, more so, I mean, it's interesting when you, when you have to think about somebody else's work, um, I've unfortunately learned that I'm not a good enough colorist to be just a colorist because I'm still going to mm. color things the way I, I think I like to see colors, which is flat <laughs> with very little rendering. Um, and so luckily, uh, Josh Hood, the artist on that book, uh, his work 
really worked that way, I think. And Amanda sort of set that up too, where it was this, you know, flat, but with light blushes and sort of things. So like I could stick to it, but mm-hmm. you know, I think I, the only other book I've colored where I wasn't the artist was, um, Cal exit with, uh, Matt Pizzolo oh, yeah. and, and, uh, Kind the well pond and nice. Amankai's work, uh, has, has, it's not this, it's not to say that it looks like, uh, Josh Hood's work, but they have a similar, um, level of detail in their line work. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as, you know, as much as they want to render. And so Amankai worked being flat color as well um, in the way that I like to do it. Um, yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, I don't see myself ever being able to color like a Thor book or something, but <laughs> sure. uh, it's, it's um, yeah, I definitely, I, you learn something on every single thing you work on. And uh, I definitely learned a good amount of what you add to flat color where it's not just mm-hmm. flat, like it's flat. Sure. But you're, you need to do certain things to, to, to really make it work and sing if it's going to be without rendering. That makes total sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm like doing a lot of the, of, of color work as I have been for the last year. It's like, I, I don't think anything has helped my drawing more than, than coloring other artists because like, and I mean, partially that is like, the drawing part of it was like the most lacking skill of mine in comics making. Like I felt more confident in everything else than I did in drawing. And so like being able to color skilled artists, it's the hardest part. Don't, don't let anybody tell you different drawing comics is the hardest part. I've done every single step you can imagine, except for editing a book in comics. It is the hardest part. (laughs) Yeah. I, and I'm, I'm like finally starting to turn a corner where I'm like feeling decent about the, the sequential work I'm putting out. And I'm like, okay, I can stop just like making comics for my own, um, archives and like start doing something with them. But, um, I, I, yeah, it's, you learn so much from coloring different styles of art, uh, and, and the way that they sort of respond to, to colors and rendering. Um, anyway, I, I want to know how, so obviously you, you, you come in and you, you, you know, are basically, you know, you're a pinch hitter with the colors on, on, we can never go home. You finish the book out. Uh, when does four kids start percolating between you and Matt? Uh, the first issue of four kids was done before we can ever oh came out. Now that I remember, I'm remembering this correctly. Uh, but black mask passed on it the first time in favor of we can never go home. Whoa. Um, because it wasn't, and I understand why they did, uh, because the black mask as a publisher, they're very interested in telling, um, stories with an agenda. Like that's mm-hmm. kind of their, you know, they want to tell stories that you can't find other places. And yeah. as much as I think four kids is, you know, a great fit of black mask now, retroactively looking at it, I, you know, four kids could have been an image book. It could have been a boom book. It could have been a, you know, it could, it could have lived at different homes in ways that mm-hmm. you could understand across their catalog where initially you look at four kids, it doesn't really fit into books called Cal exit and young terrorists and Gotham, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, the books um, have a charge to them. Normally. Yeah, that's, that's and that's wonderful. and and so it made total sense. But after we can never go home came out, and you know, I had met Matt Pizzolo at that point, and he we we get along. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's, he's a nice guy, but he's great. Uh, but the he was sort of like, all right. He was like, we'll we'll go out on this limb with it. Like, it's not really what we do here, but like, we like you guys. We like the book. Like, we really like it. It's just not what we were set out to do. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. Um, so the first, first issue was done and it was greenlit. And then I looked at it and said, I'm going to redraw this whole thing. Um, (laughs) so I read the first issue and, uh, and then, you know, and then we were, you know, kind of off to the races. Walk me through that. What, what were you seeing in your, in your initial drawing of that first issue? What was it that made you feel like you needed to redraw? I mean, how many pages is it? 24? Uh, it was 28. 
Oh my god! Um, it, oh, the initial page—it wasn't. They weren't good. The initials—they <laughs> were. It was just not very good. It was the thing where it's like the storytelling was good. I'll stand behind that. Uh, I didn't change anything in the storytelling, but the initial drawings, the ink work, the brush work—it was. You know, I hadn't figured it out yet. And even now, I look at the first issue and I'm like, oof. Like, there, I wish I could go back through and, and facelift yeah. stuff and change. And it, so it's just, I, you know, it's that thing that all artists have. You go back and you look at your work, and it's like. There's a couple of good things in here, but a lot of it's bad. Um, did you did you redo even the pencils, or did you just start from like did you go back and just re-ink? Uh, I use the initial inks as my um, pencil layer, and then the first issue I digitally inked. So I so the so it wasn't like I was so it was the inking stage of the first issue when I redid it was sort of part and parcel also penciling because uh-huh. um, when you're doing it digitally you can kind of go back and forth and and i was still trying to figure out, i was like oh is this a style i want to try out sort of like a shaky line thing mm-hmm. um and then i decided no uh but then Man. uh yeah so that for kids was interesting too because it, it that whole book was learning how i like to work best like that process i described earlier i learned across doing four kids like issues one and two were all digital and then issue three was part and part digital and then also traditional and then issue four and five were were you know the the full process i described earlier man that's that's fast how long did it take you to to redraw that first issue I'm curious how much time you decided to spend on that probably ended up being like here and there across three months you know when i wasn't working on other stuff i would just like plug along at it sure um man. and then i had already hired a flatter at that point too so it made it you know as i was finishing pages i could send it to the flatter and, and uh, be able to get the colors wow. through and stuff. But um, honestly, the story t- to me, the one, the, the storytelling being figured out and the compositions of each panel, I felt fine about for the most part. And so sure. that's the hardest part really. Yeah. And then the penciling after that, like, okay, well the, the, the skeleton's in place. So now it's just like, let's put some skin on it and uh, give it some hair, you know? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's really interesting to hear. I, I I just talked to Faith Hicks a couple episodes ago, and she was talking about how recently she went back and for her book One Year at Ellesmere took what was already a completed graphic novel and then same type of thing, like basically re re inked the entire book to to do it. And I'm always fascinated by those decisions to to redo your own work. Uh, yeah, I mean, you got to live with it. So, you know, it's one of the. I wish I there's there's some part of me that wants to go back and you know, redo some of the stuff still. And it's like, yeah, just, you know, just leave it. People, nobody's <laughs> yelling at you about it. So just leave it. Sure. Um, and, and while we're on the subject of, of your collaboration with, with Matt Rosenberg, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about what's the furthest place from here, which is another one of my highly anticipated books that I've, I've been curious about. Is that, are you guys still, is that book still happening? What's yeah, the yeah, still going on? The, I mean, obviously, so we had, have, mm-hmm. um, we have about a hundred pages of it done uh, okay. that I won't be redrawing. Uh, <laughs> that's good. <laughs> uh, it's and that's the first two issues. Okay. Um, oh wow! And Jeez. so there, all the issues are huge. Is part yeah. of it, but also right around the time we were cooking on it, Matt got um, just like six million Marvel books sure. to write, and that's his bread and butter. And the Image book, as much as we hope it sells, you just never know. Yeah. Uh, and so you know, he went to he had to go and. Uh, fulfill that contract and and i decided i wanted to go and do dead dogs so we both you know put a temporary pause on it but mm-hmm. maybe two weeks ago i got you know a couple of scripts from them and wow. once uh dead dogs wrapped and um uh, department of truth issue seven is wrapped we're full steam ahead on that wow 
So we and were hoping summer, but it's probably going to be it's probably going to be just a little bit later. Got it. And how long is the series? Do you know? Uh, so it's going to be six issues, um, okay. and for the first volume, and then we see it as okay. This is stupid, but the way we, Please. the way me and Matt think about all our stuff is like we we want a genre hop, and uh-huh. so four kids was comedy crime. Um, okay. Dead dogs for me is a mystery story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then furthest place is our fantasy epic. Um, and it's a little different than a lot of sword and sorcery fantasy, but that's just how we like to think about it. It's our, so we want it to be a trilogy, but obviously that's dependent on if the book sells or not. Uh, We have a way that it can end if it has to, but we have a bigger story that would be, you know, a, a heft of books. Every listener right now, I mean, I've, I, I implore you to, to pre-order Dead Dog's Bite because that, that book needs to succeed and I need that book to be read by a ton of people. But also, like, when What's the Furthest Place from Here is 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 in previews, please, everyone, go pre-order that because I'd love to see uh, whatever the, the trilogy would end up being. I'm very curious. Uh, has there, I mean, obviously, so now you have two projects, you know, not quite in a row, but you have two significant projects of yours that have had, to some degree, a large gap uh uh in the middle um what you know for for this project what has kind of changed in your own mentality or your approach like is there something that you feel like is different going back into it now than it would have been say if you had had, you know just continuously worked on that project um i feel good about it honestly there was the little bit of pressure only put on myself like it's me just putting on myself to to be like well, you know, we got to strike while the iron's hard. People like four kids. We got to get it out, and 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 so you know, we still keep those readerships. Otherwise, we're going to lose them, and and we're you know, we need to. And I don't know that that matters at all anymore. Mm-hmm. My whole mentality now is just make as good a book as you possibly can make, and it comes out when it comes out. And you know, I don't. I, I'm kind of slow, and I don't really see myself having more than like you know, you, you look at the totality of your life. Not to be like, <laughs> you look at what it's you know what, what you hope for it. And uh-huh. like my hope is the like you know I'd really like to put out eight to nine books in my in my time that I feel really strong about and um you know did the Tarantino sort of style of it all or whatever yeah. you know, good movies and then step away from it if if you feel like you've you've done it and totally. um, so you know I I feel I think Four Kids is a very readable book I think mm-hmm. Dead Dogs is a very readable book um, yeah. I think For This Place is gonna hopefully be a readable book and um, so that'll be. Uh, I guess for this place, I'll count as one instead of three, but that'll be the <laughs> first three. And, you know, we'll see what happens from there. Man, oh, and then I, got, I got the football comic with Tom Riley. That one's that one's going to be good. That case. Okay, so I, I wanted to ask about that because you guys uh, a few I mean, like today put up a uh, this Flash Gordon strip that you and Tom Riley worked on together, which does prominently feature football stuff. And obviously, like you've done football illustrations before related to, you know, like the bills and stuff like that. Uh but now hearing that you and Tom Riley are doing a football comic together, tell me a bit about that. I mean, what, what's the sort of genesis of it? Um, the genesis was really me. So I met Tom two years ago at New York comic con and, um, you know, Josh Hickson would argue with me about this, but me and Josh Hickson had, we had gone out for coffee maybe like a week before with, um, our rep, uh, Josh Raybuck. And, uh, we were just shooting the shit and, uh, I'll cede it to Josh. He can have it. Uh, Josh brought up Tom Riley as like, oh, you should sign this guy. And I think I went, yes, because um, I'd also been following Tom <laughs> on Twitter. I mean, I'd never met him. And so Josh signed him. And then he asked me if I would mind splitting a table with him at New York Comic Con. I was like, for sure. Uh-huh. So uh, I met him. And I think he was wearing 
a football jacket. And I was like, oh, cool. I was like, what's your team? And he's like, well, I'm a Bears fan. And I was like, oh, dope. I was like, I'm a Bills fan. And he's like, well, I'm also a Patriots fan by accident. And I was like, oh, well, we can't be friends. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it was, it was, so we were, I think Sunday at New York Comic Con, we were sitting behind the table and Tom brought his laptop and we were able to get on the Wi-Fi and we were watching uh, Bills Titans. Uh, and, um, you're having a good time with it. And I was like, man, you know, I have this, I really would like to do, like, I have this idea kind of for a football comic and he was like, I'd love to do a football comic. And so we joked around about it a bunch and that's where it sort of started. And it was like, we talked about it a bunch and we're trying to find the angle. Um, I sort of had this thing where I wanted to do a sports, I wanted to try and do tackle the, you know, I was talking about, we want to do a bunch of different genres and stuff. Uh, I wanted to try and have one of the books be, I want to do a sports comic, but I want it to be read by non-sports fans. Like I mm. want people to try it that, that don't give a shit about football to be able to read this book and be like, this is a good book. Sure. Um, and so it took me a while to come up with that angle, but I, and we have it now. Uh, and so it should oh, be good. Yeah. It'll be the first book that I've only written. Um, wow. The story is sort of by me and Tom. We, we came up with it together and uh, I'm going to be doing full script for him and he's going to draw sure. it. And, uh, he's picked out the colorist and letterer that he would like. So it's going to be, wow. it's going to weirdly be the book that I have the least control over. <laughs> um, because he asked me if I wanted to color it and letter it. And I said, no, I'm good. Um, <laughs> uh, so we're going to experiment with that. So that's, that's going to be book number four. Cause I'm working wow. on that now. And um, it should be awesome. I, Tom, Tom Riley is one of the funniest dudes I've ever met. And he has, he's what's great about working with him is he has all, he's, he's one of those guys who's, you give him an idea and he goes, that's cool. He's like, but what if we put this in there too? And that this in there too sparks another thing. And so you get to go <laughs> off on these like weird tangents and it's, it's fun. It's the best kind of collaboration. And I, I will say like, I'm, I'm, I have the, the uh, flash forward uh, strip that you guys did together up right now. And it's, a, a beauty to behold. It's a very <laughs> fun, especially that last panel of all the, uh, you know, cyborg oh, yeah. football players trying to bring flash down. Yeah. It's, I mean, Tom, be, go check it out. Tom, Tom's stuff is just so good. And, totally. uh, you know, that was really fun. And the, that it's kind of a similar model of how we're going to work on the football comic in which like, um, I, me and Tom came up with the story. I wrote it. I did a breakdown of what I thought the thumbnail should like what the page breakdown should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tom then uh, drew it and made adjustments to what you know things that he thought and uh, then I colored it and lettered it uh, but I won't have to do those two processes <laughs> next time um, but it was really fun and when we worked really well together and so that was kind of cool to like have a little tryout before yeah. we commit to um, doing like a 200 page football comic together and he's I mean he's so talented like he's someone who's who's uh, going to be a superstar for a long time much like oh, yourself yeah. that's why I, I locked mean, him he, early that's totally <laughs> <laughs> those ralph mcquarrie drawings he's been doing lately of the original oh, unreal unreal unbelievable um anyway so so the other the other like sort of key uh seemingly key collaboration that you've got going on right now is is uh uh at least tangentially in some cases or directly in others uh is with james tynan obviously you just uh did a story in the razor blades magazine um, called somewhere to keep my things. Tell me about that project. How did that come about? What was your sort of impetus for being like, I want to do some horror. Um, James, uh, wanted to do razor blades. I feel like it was almost like two, it must've been two Christmases ago. He brought it up. Um, he, he, at the time I was still living in Brooklyn, James lived in Brooklyn. We've been friends for a couple of years and, um, he had a little hearty party and he was, he was funny at that party. He both talked about department of truth and he talked about, um, uh 
razor blades. And so, mm-hmm. you know, he went off and his, him and Steve Fox came up with the concept for it and they did all that stuff. And then he reached out to me and Matt asking us if we wanted to be a part of it. And um, Matt said, I'm really busy. And I said, but come on, it'll be fun. Uh, <laughs> and so um, we came up with a story together. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was just something where it's like, you know, it's it's eight pages or nine pages. Like, let's do something that's just fun like we don't need it, it when it's eight or nine pages it's like we can kind of do anything totally. um, and so that's what we did with that and i got to try it a different style which i've been wanting to do um yeah, very like, different style man yeah I, I went actually for that one i went full traditional um oh, really? Interesting. yeah i i just, i don't know i just got like it's what it, that's what i like about those short ones is that like eh, it's probably not what they're expecting from us but like it's eight or nine pages they can't be that mad let's try something yeah. different um and then uh, last year, New Year's, James had actually brought up to me asking if um, I'm like a big, uh, well, my wife's bigger, but alien person. Uh-huh. Um, and so, uh, you know, when James was talking about Department of Truth and what the idea of it was, um, I was like, oh, yeah, I also listened to the last podcast on the left. Like, I'm aware of all of these things. <laughs> um, and so we chatted about it and he's like, well, we have this break built in for Martin so that he can like have a, have a rest um, mm-hmm. while we like expand the world. He's like, would you want to do one? And I was like, yeah, I'd love to. Uh, and that was pretty much it. He sort of tailor made um, me an issue. And I, I, it's, I'm pretty early on in it. Still, I've done one, two, three, four, five, six. I've done eight pages of it right now for like 28 mm-hmm. pages. Um, but he did it perfect for me. He allowed me to do three different styles within one issue uh, mm-hmm. and then four too the cover doesn't really look like the interiors either so got to try it a lot of different shit on this one yeah no joke that's and i i mean like for for you know a series building in a break for for their artists the fact that it's you and elsa chartier uh doing the the issues in between i mean that's a that's a hell of a that's a hell of a couple of fill-in artists to get and i i cannot wait to see how because obviously like the the style difference between the three of you as artists is is very vast you know and then you talking about you know being able to do multiple styles yourself like i am i'm fascinated to see uh uh what the sort of result of that is and how it fits in narratively i i think it works I, it, especially since it functions with um different perspectives like different sure. perspectives and things and i think the um i think it's fun is the other thing too is that like i i that's what was i was so excited about when i read james's script i was just like this is a fun issue um, yeah. and so it's, it's like, it's, there's a lot of different stuff I'm trying out. And I think, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of drawing this in, in a way that like, I haven't like, you know, there's dead dogs is labor intensive cause I'm doing all the parts, but it's not like the drawings are difficult. It's a lot of mm-hmm. simple sort of storytelling techniques and things like that. Whereas this one is like, okay, we're doing some shit. That makes sense. That's, that's very fun. And I, and I mean, it is a series that lends itself to different perspectives. I mean, it's the, you know, the core tenet of the series. And so it's, it's nice that it naturally allows itself to, to shift that way. Yeah. Um, all right. I do really quick. Just want to touch on you. You did an issue of TMNT universe and it's one of my favorite ways I've ever seen the turtles drawn. How did that come about? And just tell me about, you know, sort of what your experience was working on that, that book. Um, that was great. Uh, I, um, Bobby Kernow at IDW had emailed me asking me if I wanted to do a, um, cover, like a, like a variant cover. And I said, uh, for sure. I would love to do a variant cover of the moist boys. Uh, and he said, please don't call (laughs) them that. And I said, call me that. Um, and then, uh, I did, I sent him sketches. I think I sent him like four sketches and he went, actually, he's like, can you send me a character sketch of like how you would draw the turtles? And I was like, sure. So I sent him one. He's like, cool. He's like, I have this 
issue that's sort of a one-off issue. It's sort of an evergreen one. He's like, I got Paul Aller writing it. And I brought you up about possibly doing it. And Paul, Paul got excited. Um, and I was like, that's, that's, a, that's sad that Paul got excited about me. It's <laughs> a lot of better artists. Um, but cool. Uh, he's like, do you want to do it? And I was like, sure. So, uh, yeah, Paul basically Taylor wrote a script for me that, wow. um, was awesome. He, he, he let me, you know, kind of do what I wanted to do in different sections. And he, he, he built everything perfectly so that I could do some, some different, um, page design stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, like cutaways and, and weird different, um, you know, maybe just not what you'd expect from a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle comic. Sure. Um, and uh, I think my favorite criticism, I, I made the mistake of, well, I didn't, somebody found it and sent it to me, but uh, fans of the Turtles did not like that issue, like diehard readers. Uh, well, and I understand why, and it's because I drew the Turtles as Turtles. Yeah. <laughs> and they want them to look like ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, I think that's funny if the turtles look like turtles. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's perfect. Just like, yeah, just like these big weird turtles running around a building <laughs> is very funny to me. Um, and yeah, maybe I should have made them look cool instead of like turtles. Yeah. Uh, but I um, I had a really good time with it. And uh, yeah, much thanks to Paul and, and Bobby for, for letting me do that. Um, that was fun. Yeah. It's 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 always fun to look at. I love when there's like those little instances of uh, someone who's not a licensed comics boy uh, jumping into those worlds and kind of like still being able to do their thing with with the established characters. Yeah, because uh, to be real, like, you know, I, I haven't read that much, you know, of the recent Ninja Turtles comics. And that was like that was a thing to me that was like, oh, that's interesting. Like, that's an interesting choice. I'm going to read an issue of Ninja Turtles because, you know, because it's not what I would have expected. Yeah, um, it's, there's a that issue of um, I never thought I'd read a Godzilla comic book, and then James Stokey oh you know, my god and draws you know what is it is it Godzilla not Godzilla and Hell the one before that yeah Godzilla I I can't Godzilla remember the name but War? oh my god it's yeah. I'd have to look it up um, I think it's Half Century War it's I think you're right uh, yeah it's it's always really nice to see to see uh, a very individualistic cartoonist uh, jump in and and do their thing. Let me do whatever I want. They, they said so like props to them. That's that it was, seemed that way because there were some of those page layouts. Some of those page layouts were like not at all what you would ever see. You know, it's not like you were just sort of drawing the standard script that would sort of go at its own pacing and stuff. Like you had, I remember the the like those architecture pages that you'll do sometimes where it's like the layout of a building and and you know like watching watching the characters move around within that map yeah. sort of thing. Um, I think I think um, Night Nurse got that page. Anyway, sorry. No, somebody yeah. bought that, and it was. I was happy that the person got who got it because they're they're a nurse during COVID and stuff. I was <laughs> oh, like, that's that's so dope. Um, it was like oh, cool. At least that's in a because that was my favorite page from the issue. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, as, as we start to wrap up here, a uh, couple of you know random uh, things that I wanted to touch on or just ask about. Um, this is one thing that's been coming up lately because of you know COVID. Obviously, everyone's sort of locked down. We're not able to do the things that we normally do. Uh, I want to know, you know, let's say tomorrow everyone is vaccinated. There's no, you know, COVID just doesn't exist anymore. Everything's back to normal. Uh, I want to know the first thing that you're excited to do in general. And then I want to know what the first con is that you want to go back to. Uh, man, this first one's going to sound like such a bummer. But just <laughs> like, man, I, I just want to be able to go back to bars. <laughs> yeah, I uh, it's uh, one of those. I, it's It won't be the same, but when 
this all started, I was still living in Brooklyn and being my wife had this bar where we were friends with all the bartenders. And it was just like a nice, like, you know, on Friday night, go and hang out with the crowd and, you know, have a couple beer shots and, and shoot the shit and, sure. you know, go home and watch a movie. It's just a nice, like, way to wind down the week and hang out with people. Um, but it'll just be good to be able to see people again, honestly. It's oh just God, so weird yeah. not being able to see, you know, people I used to see every Tuesday or something like my, me and my buddy Mike would go rock climbing on Tuesdays and now it's been almost a year or whatever. And it's like, that's so weird. Yeah, totally. Um, and then first con, I mean, I guess I would have been New York cause that's my favorite one just cause it's hometown show. But, sure. um, uh, I guess, I guess New York. Yeah. That's probably my favorite one. It's just like my, and it's my favorite one for an easy reason. And this uh-huh. is going to say, there's no bar con culture in New York comic con <laughs> and every other con has bar con. Yep. And I am not a fan of bar con. I like seeing people. I like hanging out with people. I do not like being in a hotel lobby paying $10 for the Miller light. It's not 100%. how I like to spend my time. Um, and so uh, my favorite part about New York Comic Con is that nobody feels the pressure to do that. You just go and have dinner with the people you want to have dinner with. You know, if you want to see other yeah. people after that, you can just go to a normal bar and <laughs> and have a conversation and then go home. I get to sleep in my own bed and well, not anymore. But uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that 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 makes total sense. And I like it is the thing that is like, especially with San Diego or with like the conventions where like it's in a more remote place. There's just nowhere to go around like without like getting an Uber or like doing this whole thing. It's always nice when you're able to just like have a small group of people around a table after a con instead of in a giant crowded room where the music is pumping and you're just yelling at a person who's <laughs> a foot next to you to try. And yeah, yeah. Um, and now I remember I, I talked a little bit about this with, I mean, shit on like the second episode of this podcast talking to Matt Rosenberg. And I talked about this a bit, uh, a couple times with Matt Pizzolo, but uh the early days of black mask uh sound like some of the craziest comics making of the sort of modern era and like the weirdest like vans full of boxes at midnight going play like yeah what is a fond memory of yours and of the early days of black black mask it sounds like you were pretty involved in some of the sort of like con hopping or production or random like you know putting fires out like what's Um, something that stands out to you There's so many. I mean, yeah, the whole start of that company is just a bunch of fucking punk idiots trying to figure out how to do anything. Um, I, I guess I, I, my, I'll use one I, I was personally involved in, I guess, because like one wants to be like, oh man, when Pizzolo was on CNN and then for Cal <laughs> Exit is like so stupid and funny and like um there was one san diego where like we rented an airbnb and the airbnb we rented apparently weren't allowed to be wasn't allowed to be an airbnb so we had to like constantly be going through the back door to go up oh to the my place God. Rented because the the security would like try and kick us out if they saw us coming into the building <laughs> uh uh the time we drove from uh la to anaheim with just like all our st- all the black mass stuff for WonderCon just loaded into the back of Pizzolo's uh, piece of shit truck that doesn't have air conditioning and doesn't have a back seat. So it's just the three of us crammed in with like tent poles over our lap with the windows Beautiful. rolled down uh, in like hundred degree heat. <laughs> uh, I wasn't a part of, I'm, I'm sure Matt and Pizzolo or Rosie and Pizzolo told mm-hmm. you about the, the driving the U-Haul truck and the, you know, yep. Oh God, that one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's just like, you know, that was a fun thing of like 
trying to meld two worlds, you know, like all of us were either in bands or, or, or like put out records or were just like punk kids or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so to be like, you know, in your twenties or Pizzolo and, and Rosie in their thirties, forties, whatever, just like still doing the same crap. (laughs) Like, okay, it's, it's the same thing. It's the same sort of like DIY. Like I'm comfortable here. I'm, I understand (laughs) what this is. Hell yeah. yeah. Um, one thing that you've been doing, I, I don't even know how long at this point, but uh, is 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 your Twitch streams. Um, talk about that. I mean, it seems like it's 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 become a, a pretty big part of your your life, you know, creatively and just personally. What? How did that start? What is it that that you um, sort of you know get out of it? Is it something that you find rejuvenating or relaxing, or what? What's the muscle you're stretching there? Um, I've been a gamer like pretty much my whole life. Like I've always like love video games, um, especially as like a storytelling medium. Uh, and so the streaming thing sort of was like, came about cause I got some Trump bucks and I was like, I guess I'll buy a, <laughs> I guess I'll buy a capture card. <laughs> um, because me and my friends wanted to like stream some stuff to our other friends so we could watch. It was always just like, you know, our, uh, our me and my friends entertaining our friends. Yeah. Um, so that's really just what it is, is a way to like, I'm going to play video games anyways. Like I might as well, uh, if I'm going to stream them uh, or if I'm going to play them, I might as well stream them so I can hang out with my friends, uh, mm-hmm. during it. And, you know, the one, the Friday night ones with Sue, uh, Lee on Sue's channel are just sort of about like, it's a nice little drink and draw thing. We get to hang out and, and we all do a drink and draw or work on our own stuff and get to chat with, you know, other people in the community, um, sure. other artists and stuff. And so it's just like, you know, it, what I like about it is it's so low pressure. It's just like, it's just a different, um hobby i don't know yeah. yeah it's a hobby i think that's truly what it is. everything else is like all my the things that i were my hobbies are now my job and sure. so this like playing video games or hanging out and chatting with people like on a stream uh and like having a community sort of thing get built up uh mm. it's just fun. um <laughs> it's like yeah it's just it's just like a nice little like different thing to do every once in a while yeah, absolutely. No, it's it, it makes total sense. It's 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 a fun thing to see, especially like in this day of of even more isolation than ever. It's fun to see the ways that cartoonists are able to kind of like stretch and sort of find uh, new ways to have fun and enjoy themselves and and find something creatively that's that's able to be shared. Um, well, the the uh, before you know we wrap up with the last question. Uh, everyone out there, make sure you go and pre-order Dead Dog's Bite. Uh, it's coming out in March. It's up in previews now, so make sure that your comic shop knows that you want it. Uh, spread spread the good love and make sure that uh, people are out there looking out for it. Um, but Tyler, let people know where they can find you online. Uh, so you can follow me, and if I was better at business, these would all be the same tag, but I'm terrible <laughs> at it. So uh, my Instagram is Tyler Patrick Boss at Tyler mm. Patrick Boss. My website is uh, Tyler uh, Dash Tyler no. Dash Boss, I believe. TylerDashBoss.com. That's because uh, I let my website relapse, and somebody bought my URL and then tried to sell it back to me for fifteen thousand dollars, and I said no. Assholes. <laughs> and then uh, uh, everything else is Twitter uh, at Boy Cartoonist. I'm almost never on there because that place is not fun. Um, but <laughs> you, I'll post about my stuff and yeah. different drawings and stuff and try to retweet other people's work that I think is cool. Um, and my Twitch is twitch.tv forward slash Boy Cartoonist. Uh, I am on there chaotically. So if you ever want to know <laughs> if I'm on, uh, just hit the follow button and you'll get a notification. Sure. Um, but then I think that's all my stuff. Yeah, I don't use Facebook. Sure. That's it. Yeah. Hell yeah. 
Well, uh, the last question that I ask everyone who comes on the show is, why do you love comics? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> I think <laughs> it's like a, what, are they, what is it called? Uh, uh, not Munchauser syndrome. That's where you tell people that they're sick and they believe it. What's the one where you're captive? Oh, and then, oh um, um, Stockholm syndrome. Uh, yeah, it's probably Stockholm syndrome at this point. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just love it, man. It's my, it's, it's been my whole life uh, since I, I've always been my favorite thing reading growing up. Uh, just my favorite medium. Um, I don't know what it is about it. I think it's, um, I think it's the, it's just kind of maybe the most accessible and yet personal medium you can make the case that maybe novels are more personal or 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 individualistic but yeah i don't know when you when you're with the book when you're when you're with the comic or something i always just feel like i connect with the the people and the stories being told in comics more because of the medium than than maybe any other medium yeah there's more of a fingerprint. I mean, I and I, I, I try not to butt in on this, but like I, I'm vibing with what you're saying so much. I mean, like it's it, novels are very personal and everything like that, but you don't see that person's distinct point of view as clearly as you do in comics. Yeah, I mean, it's just right there, right? Like they drew that fucking line. They, yeah. they, it's you know, it's not a keystroke or typesetting. It's there. It is. Um, totally. It's a couple of people just trying to tell a story, or sometimes just one person just being, hey, can you relate to this? Does this do anything for you? No. All right, I'll try better <laughs> next time. <laughs> Tyler, thanks for joining the show. Thanks so much for having me on, Jason. Boy, howdy, what a good time. Thank you so much to Tyler for joining the show. Uh, that was a wonderful interview. I love talking to him. Um, I It's always... It's always fun uh, when you get to talk to cartoonists who, who have similar interests. He and I ended up talking about Star Wars and football for another you know 20 minutes after we uh, hung up, which uh, very nice and, and lovely of Tyler for, for being so generous with his time and, and, and lending all that amazing knowledge uh, to all of us for the show. Um, truly an awesome interview, and I highly recommend picking up Dead Dog's Bite. It's such a good book. I'm really, really vibing with it. Um, anyway, I want to also thank Sean Rosner for the music that we use in the show. You can follow Sean at Sean the Rosner on Instagram. I want to thank Garm for sponsoring the show. Again, if you want to check out any of their texture packs, that's garmcompany.com slash TMBC. Uh, and I want to thank all of you for listening, most importantly. It's, I'm really, really excited to, again, be back doing the show. Um, it's so fun talking to creators. It's so fun uh, getting you know messages and tweets and whatever from, from everyone listening. Uh, I, you know, if you look at like my Instagram and Twitter followers, it is nothing but cartoonists of all levels. And I love, uh, seeing the art and the work that people are putting out there. It's, it's insanely inspiring to me. Um, and just fun to, to see. So, you know, give it a follow. You can, you can find me at Jason Halftones on Twitter and Instagram, and you can find the show at TMBC workshop on Twitter and Instagram. Um, and if you're enjoying the show, please let us know. Um, you know, I, I, want to see reviews on iTunes and Spotify. Obviously the show was gone for a while. Uh, and so, you know, although our numbers were surprisingly good during the time that we were gone, we picked up a, a lot of new listeners, uh, while we were down. Um, you know, I'd love to, to get some exposure back again, right? I'd love to, to get some people listening again. Um, and so if you give uh, a rating or review on, you know, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this show, uh, that would be greatly appreciated. Um, any reviews I will shout out on the show here in the wrap up. So uh, please do so uh, if you're enjoying it. Uh, but I mean, without, you know, keeping you any longer, this was a giant sized episode. Uh, 
just gonna say thanks so much and uh, you know keep at it Be cool.com. You never know.